Dennis, we do have an awful lot of smoke around us who are just saying, and we know how herbs can help in many different ways. Have you got something to offer us for the air pollution, the smoke in the air that we've got at the moment? Look, I think there's a lot that herbs can uh, do at present, Jane, to lessen some of the consequences of the pollution that's in the environment at present. We'll have a look at a couple of herbs particularly that perhaps can stop the drift towards more serious conditions in the respiratory system particularly. Looking at things that might help us with the uh, with the conditions we have of at course, the moment, of the uh, smoke in the air. Of course. And, and of course. It does affect us? Look, it does. I, I was uh, saying before the program started that for the first time that I can remember, I'm actually seeing a, a, an increase in people wearing face masks. And and these these are Aussies, if you like. Well, I mean, you see people wearing face masks a lot who, who come from China and, and Asia. But even in, in our locality in the Hunter, um, I've been seeing it a lot, which which I tend to agree with. Um, it's, a, it's a good idea. And the level of particulate matter in the atmosphere up in the Hunter at present in my opinion, is unprecedented, and I've lived there for a long time. So I think there's something to be learned to start with from the, the habits and the traditions of other cultures in coping with air pollution, that if you are particularly sensitive to it, face masks wouldn't solve the problem, but it might lessen some of the inhalation, particularly if it gets worse, or if you are living in very, very affected areas, say in, in uh, some of the bushfire zones. So I think to start with, don't be too proud about going to the pharmacy and getting some of these things and wearing them. Particularly, I come back to the point, if you have, a, say, a compromised uh, immune system or if you suffer from upper or lower respiratory systems. That's principle number one. But I think over, the, uh, over this year particularly, we've been talking about uh, herbs, uh, two of which have a remarkable affinity, particularly for the upper respiratory tract, when it is inflamed, uh, discharging, irritable, and sometimes infected. And what I'm talking about here are people that uh, can experience uh, conditions of the upper respiratory tract, which if left unmanaged can drift towards a sinus infection, which then frequently requires antibiotic therapy. Two of those herbs, I believe, have a role presently, Jane, and uh, those two herbs we have spoken about. I have a great deal of confidence after many, many years of lecturing on this herb and uh, practising with it, that is the, the European or the English herb known as eyebright. Eyebright is botanically known as Euphrasia officinalis, and interestingly, its indications are not just for inflammatory conditions of the eyes, but it is used for what one British writer referred to as a systemic watery conditions of the upper respiratory tract. That's a great description. It's a, it's a lovely way of looking at it. And I think that um, it's, it's a herb that's underappreciated for the way in which it addresses particularly chronic or low-grade uh, irritable states or inflammatory states of the sinuses particularly, which reflect themselves in a lot of mucus production, uh, in a lot of post-nasal secretion, and of course, can also implicate the eyes. So in a situation like this, in, in my practice, I'm noticing people coming in and using eyebright, requesting preparations that uh, are based on eyebright, and I would see it as a supplement on its own, so readily available from our health food stores and pharmacies, perfectly safe. 
I would see it as a first line of defence from the herbal world uh, in a way to lessen some of the consequences of particulate matter, the smoke, etc., causing irritable states of the upper respiratory tract, climaxing, as I've said, in very catarrhal symptoms. The second uh, herb that usually runs with eyebright, and we've spoken about it even recently on the program, is the remarkable herb, uh, Hydrastus canadensis, commonly known as golden seal. Now, there are few herbs, as I've said when we've spoken about this remarkable remedy, that have such a broad-spectrum application in herbal medicine. And one of the areas where it is particularly useful, and let me emphasise this, is in addressing both preventatively and and treatment-wise inflammatory states of the sinuses, um, of the nasal passages. It's one of those remedies that shines in addressing all these challenging conditions that, again, can climax in sinus episodes, uh, nasal blockage, post-nasal secretion, and general discomfort. So, again, if, uh, if I'm living or if I were living in an area that was particularly affected by particulate matter, and if I were a person that has historically experienced catarrhal states of the upper respiratory tract or was experiencing occasional episodes of sinusitis, I would be, for at least a period of time, using those two herbs. Again, let me emphasise, readily available without script from our good health food stores and pharmacists. They're reasonably priced, even if they're used during this period of time, in my opinion, they would contribute significantly against some of the consequences of inhaling uh, what's in the atmosphere at present. Mm. So sometimes the herbs mm. herbs do need to be taken over a long term, and you've Correct. talked about that Correct. with many. Correct. But with this, the effect is a bit the, more immediate. Absolutely. Um, there's two ways of, of, of using herbs. Herbs uh, classically are used as preventative devices so that people that uh, regularly experience upper respiratory tract problems, particularly ongoing sinus states, ongoing rhinitis states, eustachian tube catarrhal conditions, they can benefit greatly by using those two herbs as part of their regime of prevention. But, uh, but that is usually associated with a low dose of both herbs uh, continued over a long ongoing period of time. On the other herb, on the other hand, these herbs have a dosage range that can see them being used episodically in higher doses than normal as a means of aborting, lessening, coping with the the challenges to the system, uh, and then subsequently uh, going away from them when the condition has resolved, the season has changed. So uh, herbs classically are used as preventative chronic management devices, but they can also be used as agents to cope with requirements of the moment. Those two herbs, listeners, in my opinion, are two of the most remarkable remedies for dealing with challenges from the atmosphere that climax in in sinus infections, watery catarrhal states, eye symptoms as well, post-nasal drip, and in this environment, they would be my two end-of-the-year final recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter has rung in, Dennis, uh, about face masks. Hello, Peter, you've got a comment? Uh, for... yes? yes, I do. Uh, hi, Dennis. Um, I, I have a comment about face masks. Uh, I used to work in the mines. We yes. had face masks demonstrated at one stage. Yes. Uh, and the, the truth of the matter with face masks is any face mask with only 
a single rubber band, it, the best place to wear them is in your pocket. They're that <laughs> handy. Um, they're totally ineffective. Um, if you have a, a, a late growth of beard on your face or any facial hair, whatever, you put your face mask in the pocket, the same thing applies. Okay. <laughs> it is a fact. I had it demonstrated with face masks or the takeout um, um, aromatic thinners and things oh, like that. Right. Yes, and yes. they demonstrated yes. it with uh, uh, vanilla spray. Yes. And it proved the point. It, it stunned everybody that saw the demonstration. Wow. And, and unless you're properly trained in fitting a face mask by fitting a, a double-banded um, face mask, you, you must form the, the aluminium strip across your nose. Yes. If it doesn't have one, it's absolutely useless. Yes. Um, so. but, and, and there are very, very few people that can apply a paper face mask and have it work. Otherwise, they're just short circuits around your nose. Well, I think the, the message from this, Peter, is that if you're going to use a face mask, uh, use the right face masks and fit them properly. Well, it, it probably comes down to being having it demonstrated how to fit it yeah, properly. Yeah, that's a good but, point. But you must use it a double-banded, uh, rubber-banded face mask and you must form it tightly around your nose with an aluminium strip yes. or a metal strip that's across the nose. Yes. Look, I think probably also uh, here, Peter, a lot depends upon what sort of, um, of filtering you're wanting done. If uh, I agree, if you're looking at, say, industrial challenges and things like that, my son used to be a painter and he was very conscious of, of uh, face mask uh, behaviour and requirements. But I think if you're in an environment where the particulate matter is, is very obvious and, and much larger than what would say, occur in some of the molecules associated with industrial fumes, yeah, there's probably a bit of logic in using that at least to, to knock out some of the heavy stuff that might be floating around, particularly in a bushfire environment. And that's a, a really good point, Peter. Thanks so much for uh, bringing that up. And uh, we've also had a call, caller not on the line at the moment who'd like you to repeat the two herbs okay. you mentioned okay. for things like sinusitis. Okay. We've mentioned this morning um, a couple of herbs which uh, I've put forward, and in fact I've put them forward frequently on this program, as being uh, classically recommended for preventing or managing sinus conditions, particularly that are chronic, recurring, or even sometimes episodic. Those two herbs, let me emphasise, uh, are as follows. There's the European or English herb known as eyebright, botanically known as euphrasia, but eyebright's good enough uh, for you uh, out there listening to it. And the other herb, of course, is the American herb hydrastus, commonly known as golden seal. Now, those two herbs very, very commonly occur in over-the-counter preparations that are labelled uh, with terminology associated with sinusitis. In other words, they're so well recognised in their relationship to sinus infections and chronic sinus conditions, or trying to prevent them, in fact, that many products available, again, I would say, from our good pharmacies and health food stores, are named in a way that relates these two herbs, particularly to the sinuses. I'm not going to mention brand names, but if you were to go to your pharmacy or your health food store, mention those two herbs, uh, they would show you, I'm sure, products out there that uh, are over-the-counter, don't require a script, but contains those two very, very important remedies, uh, um, eyebright 
and the, and the American herb golden seal. I like the name mm. Eyebright too. You do that, indeed. That yeah. sort of fits, well, doesn't the, it? The interesting thing about uh, interesting thing about Eyebright is that that in the old days, not just in the old days, but uh, even in in my early practice years, uh, Eyebright was primarily used to address. Uh, inflammatory conditions of the eyes, things like blepharitis uh, and discharge from the eye. These days it's not so um, commonly used. One always has to be cautious about um, using anything on the eye, particularly preparations that uh, are based on crude materials, unless they're filtered properly and unless the, the, the water is, is boiled uh, and pure, you can probably complicate an eye condition by domestically managing it or trying to uh, by making an infusion of eyebright but historically uh, the herb has a, a reputation for addressing topically eye conditions and it wouldn't have that reputation unless it worked and I know it works but these days interestingly uh, what seemingly has come in here is what I mentioned a couple of weeks ago and that is the way in which uh, the manuka honey has emerged as being a very, very significant uh, remedy, again over-the-counter, in managing uh, inflammatory conditions of the eyes. And, uh, Dennis, you mentioned that manuka honey, mm. which oh, is a great, a great substance and can be used a lot, that it can also be helpful in looking at upper respiratory tract uh, problems. Oh, absolutely. I, I am rapidly coming to the... Uh, viewpoint that the discovery of the profound properties of manuka honey will probably go down as one of the great uh, advancements and contributions of natural substances uh, to disease uh, management. Now, I know that all honeys, let me emphasize this, all honeys share similar characteristics, uh, but we do know that some honeys contain unique uh, chemical constituents derived from the flora that they've, uh, that they've been derived from. And in, in, in this case, the manuka honey uh, is, is unique in as much that it brings with, with it uh, constituents that allow it to function in two ways. That is to act as a mild anti-inflammatory agent, which basically means managing irritability. Irritability is a good term to use for the way in which honey generally, but the way in which manuka particularly, works on inflamed conditions. Hence, its benefit as, uh, as uh, used in eye drops for managing irritable states presently, which can easily be picked up if one is working in the environment. Now, I get into too much trouble, particularly from my dear wife, who says, you're not wearing your hat and you're not wearing your uh, sunglasses. Now, I'm doing it more frequently than what I ever did, but it's a bit late in the day, so I have rather very, very sensitive eyes. And uh, of, of recent times, I have been using the Manuka eye drops, which are procurable uh, from multiple outlets. And I must say, uh, I must say that the relief that I obtained was stunning. In fact, prior to having used a use this. I had been using um, steroid drops. My condition was pretty serious at one stage. Now, it's no longer like that, but the use of the uh, manuka uh, drops, if you like, has kept 
the uh, my eyes less inflamed and the uh, eyes looking reasonably good and which that really surprised me so a lot of that comes from the soothing uh, the anti-inflammatory potential of that particular honey by the way uh, the manuka honey is indigenous to australia and new zealand uh, here in australia it's frequently known as jellybush honey um, the, and they both have well they both share the same characteristics now it's interesting that the the um, the manuka eye drops at this stage at this stage uh, seem to be coming out of the united kingdom uh, in other words the preparation that i used uh, seemingly was manufactured in the uk and that's great what well, i mean they're made to very high standards imported here and distributed from it but isn't it interesting that it takes the other part of the world the uk uh, to to produce a product such as that um, when they're importing that honey from such a, a long distance and my reading in, in journals etc indicates that it seems to be in the uk that manuka honey is much more appreciated medically than what i thought uh, even in post-surgical uh, states particularly of the uh, of the throat and the mouth it's being used um, uh, quite vigorously over there so i'm not surprised that in eye drops which are now presently available manuka eye drops very reasonably priced by the way and uh, do not require a script i would be suggesting that again people whose eyes are sensitive like mine and who become inflamed easily like mine um, try try the manuka eye drops um, and I'd be surprised if you didn't get a good result. Now, we've had a caller ring in, not yes. on the line at yes. the moment, yes. who's got a question along those yes. lines, yes. Dennis, suffering from eye mites and has been using wipes with tea tree and coconut oil in them for six months, hasn't found them to be of any use, but would like to know if Eyebrite or Manuka honey drops would be useful, would be helpful. I'm not sure what the um, what, what the list. I, yeah, mm, I'm not sure what he's talking about as far as I might. So it, when he says he's been using wipes with tea tree oil and coconut oil in them, that worries me a little bit. I hope I hope the listener has had this condition looked at medically because it uh, it could be a condition that um, is a little bit more serious than what he thinks, and it might not have much to do with what he refers to as eye mites. That puzzles me a little bit. I'd be reluctant uh, to recommend um, anything as a treatment here unless the condition has been adequately medically profiled. The eyes are the eyes. And I would say to this dear listener, if you haven't uh, been to your GP and had it look at, looked at, please do so. Um, and, uh, and there... Um, if it is seen to be something that is is not medically serious, well, then I would see something like the Manuka eye drops as being um, relatively harmless. And if it is a straight-out case of just an inflammatory condition without a vigorous infection, I would see that as being potentially useful. But don't turn what we've been talking about this morning into a treatment for a condition that might be just a little bit more um, serious than what what you think let me say to all listeners let me say to all listeners an eye condition is an eye condition and it needs to be medically interpreted um, 
many of them are conditions that I periodically experience as a result of too much reading, uh, a result of too much exposure to the sun, and particularly sometimes as a consequence of working my, with my bees too carelessly. In that situation, uh, self-help with some of the things that I've mentioned today, in my opinion, is, is quite down the line. But get things checked out. Very good idea. Eyes are very precious, aren't mm. they? Uh, Kerry's rung in from Redhead. Now, Kerry, you'd like to know if there's any herbs that might help with not being able to digest fats. Is that right? Yes, yes. Thank you. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Kerry. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. I'm just ringing um, to see if there's any herbs or anything that you could take to help with the digestion of eating anything that's got fat in it. Let me ask you a few questions. Uh, do you have a gallbladder? Yes. Okay. Is there any gallbladder dysfunction? Not that I know of, no. Okay. Now, when you say you can't uh, digest fats, uh, what symptoms do you get that coincide with this? When you say there's no inability to digest fats, does that does that lead to things like bloating, flatulence? Yes. Um, yes. Okay. So, and diarrhoea the next day after. And, okay. Mm. And, and you've had this a, a fair while? Oh, yes, I have probably. Um, yeah, I just thought it... Originally, I was um, uh, allergic or intolerant to dairy, but um, mm. it's but, not dairy, yeah. it's any fat that but, I eat. I just get sick the next day, it just passes, but yeah, if okay. I stay on a, a fat-free diet, um, mm. I'm pretty good. But Yeah, you can't always... do that all your life, though, can you? No, no. You, you miss out on some of the best foods in the world. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Look, what, what, uh, what I'll do is just give you a few hints here. Um, mm. Without, have you had this condition first of all medically assessed or, or diagnosed? Uh, no, not really. Okay. No, okay. I've been taking some enzymes okay. and things. But okay. Well, well, in in herbal medicine, there is a simple approach that is inexpensive and very safe. Mm. With inability to digest fats, the approach that herbalists would make uh, is to use herbs that improve uh, liver and gallbladder functioning. Um, a, a herbalist would interpret this condition as being associated with perhaps what we call in the trade, uh, gastroenterologists might laugh at it, but we call in the trade here a sluggish gallbladder mm. functioning. In other yes. words, the secretory functioning of the gallbladder um, may be inadequate to cope with the, with the job of breaking down fats. So using bitter herbs... B-I-T-T-E-R, bitter herbs, um, mm. which are known as choleretics, C-H-O-L-E-R-I-T-C-S, choleretics, um, using those herbs and some of the herbs like uh, dandelion mm. uh, and globe artichoke. Yep. They're probably the, the two easiest herbs to access in supplement form, particularly dandelion. People don't use enough these days of the traditional inexpensive remedies we seem to presently be caught up with expensive preparation from exotic parts of the world making all sorts of claims in exotic languages whereas we have a, a, a very good western herbal tradition based on simple herbs that are well documented and any western herbalist would draw on these bitter tasting herbs particularly the globe artichoke and we're talking yes. about the globe artichoke leaf here. Globe artichoke can be eaten, but unfortunately yes. Australians don't eat enough of them. I love them. But globe artichoke leaf and mm -hmm. also using the dandelion root. 
Now, these things can be obtained in, in capsule form. They can be obtained in liquid form. But before I would do anything else, I would mm. put myself uh, onto a course of using these and, and mm. see where that takes you. I'd be the most yes. surprised person if you didn't get back on the phone in a couple of weeks and say, well, look, it, it's helping. Yes. Well, that sounds good. Uh, I have had... Uh, I, I, I am a celiac, and that's, yes, uh, I yes. think, that started things off. Mm-hmm. And, well, and the, I've had... these two herbs that I've mentioned, as far as I'm aware, will not in any way at all adversely affect a, a celiac right. diagnosis. Okay. And, and can and, you get those at a, a compounding pharmacy? Or? Yeah, but I don't think... You can get them there, I'm sure. But, again, you should be able to get... Uh, even some of those at, at the supermarket. At the instance, supermarket, all right. Well, not, look, please don't think I'm pushing supermarkets or anything. All mm. I'm saying is these herbs are so readily available. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know that in supermarkets there is a well-known uh, dandelion beverage. I won't mention brand names, but I, I've used it myself. It's, um, it's referred to as a dandelion tea. And it's mm. very reasonably priced and, and very drinkable. So there's an example of using a dandelion in a very available economic form. And again, with globe artichoke, which again I say is terribly underrated, you can be purchased that in a capsule or a tablet form. I'm not sure whether from a supermarket, from a health food store, certainly. All right. I'll try those two things. Thank you very much, give Dennis. It, give it a go and, and come back and, and, and let us know. Um, because I'd like to get feedback on these things, but I'd be surprised if you didn't get some benefit. Some things that uh, my, we might be noticing as a result of uh, the current conditions, the smoke and stuff in the air that's uh, causing a problem. Now, some people get to the stage, Dennis, where they cough uh-huh. and uh, might be, because their airways are irritated, sure, sure. And they might be taking some medication sure. to help with that. Sure. Can herbs help too? Yes. The, the, I think that um, here, herbs... Uh, and as well as honey, can be very uh, complementary to the medical management of any respiratory condition. Now, let me emphasise here that respiratory management of, of serious conditions obviously requires medical management, but this doesn't necessarily preclude a sensible, safe use of complementary natural substances. And uh, where you have a cough particularly that may be just associated with what we call irritable airways or where you have a cough that uh, is is transitory and more irritable than associated with any serious respiratory infection. It's here that that herbs can be remarkably effective. Um, It might surprise listeners uh, to know that probably the most or one of the most popular herbs used in herbal medicine all all around the world is the herb licorice botanically known as Glycorrhiza glabra. Now, licorice is a a herb that is very frequently used in traditional respiratory combinations. It has a very soothing anti-inflammatory and anti-tusive effect, that means anti-coughing effect, that is well known. And so any uh, irritable uh, cough condition particularly uh, could benefit from a course of liquid medication, liquid medication, that incorporates the fluid extract of licorice, and that would be readily available from from a dispensing herbalist or from a compounding pharmacist. Usually, uh, licorice for irritable cough conditions uh, associated with irritable airways would be combined uh, with other herbs, particularly, say, 
the herb marshmallow, and sometimes aniseed. But licorice, uh, still terribly underrated for its benefits in lower respiratory conditions, particularly uh, coughing conditions of an irritable nature. Don't uh, forget that. But let me just give a warning here. Licorice is a herb that can be overdone and it has a strict dosage um, routine. My recollections, and I think I'm pretty right on this, from the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia stipulate that the dose of the liquid extract of licorice is two to five mils, uh, three times daily. That is a dose that, in my opinion, should not be uh, gone beyond because licorice can cause complications if it's taken in excessive dosage or in combination with some prescription medications. But for simple, irritable cough conditions, licorice warrants a place in, say, any cough medication. But, but, here always again... A but. Always a but. Here again, the use of honey preparations is again very latent in the older, even pharmaceutical literature of years gone by. Um, the, the oxymels, for instance... Oxymel, O-X-Y-M-E-L, Oxymel is still in the British Pharmacopoeia, and Oxymel's are medical preparations that are based on honey. And Oxymel's were f frequently used. For instance, there was a, an Oxymel of whorehound. Now, whorehound is a remarkable herb also for cough conditions. There was an Oxymel of squill, that older generation of pharmacists, um, probably my age now, would, uh, would make up for dealing with cough conditions. So honey has a well-known reputation as an agent to facilitate benefit in cough conditions coming from multiple causes, but particularly irritable coughs. And let me just say that an irritable cough is something that is usually there. It's been well investigated. There doesn't seem to be any overt pathology behind it, but I've, I've treated these conditions for 40 years a cough can be quite irritable and debilitating and defies, defies all medical management. Here's some of the simple approaches incorporating the herb licorice and particularly incorporating an oxymel, that is the use of honey, and in particularly, say, the manuka honey. Uh, that, to my way of thinking, is a way of, again, easing any respiratory complications that climax in a cough associated with what we're going through presently with a polluted atmosphere. Now, mm. what do you think about, if you've got an irritated throat, mm. about having a spoonful of honey? I think it's great. Helps the medicine go great. down. <laughs> oh, well done, Helps Jane. everything now, go look, down. I, I know sometimes listeners think that, that we overplay honey, but again, I believe that honey is just coming into its own and there is, there is, there is a book uh, entitled um, The Honey Revolution, recently published, uh, written by two American medical professionals, which provides, in my opinion, irrefutable evidence of the science and clinical potential associated with honey used at a, at a medical level. What a big, um, how can I call it, movement along the line, uh, particularly from previously a very sceptical attitude that the mainstream had towards honey. Here it is now coming into its own, it was always, by the way, uh, on its own. I think uh, listeners might be surprised to know that one of the best books ever written on honey was written by a British uh, medical practitioner called a Dr. Deck. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a copy of it, and he traces the history of honey right back 
uh, to the time of the Greeks, the Romans, and looked at the way in which it had been used at multiple levels. Well, it's come through. Uh, Jarvis, in, in a book called Folk Medicine, Jarvis was an American GP practising in Vermont and noticed the way in which the rural population there uh, used a lot of honey and a lot of apple cider vinegar. And so in that remarkable little book, which is a joy to read, called Folk Medicine, uh, which I still suggest people get hold of and read it, uh, he presents uh, the virtues of honey. And now we have uh, medical professionals coming on stream taking up that strand of, of knowledge and, and bring it up to speed with some of the science behind using honey medicinally. And is honey together with apple cider vinegar going to be a different... Will that help it or, or oh, help you're get, it? You're getting on the apple cider bandwagon, well, I'm just wondering <laughs> whether it's going to help and maybe it's well, an essential look, part or uh, maybe it's a separate thing. Look, I think one could take it. Some people would certainly... Uh, use apple cider vinegar with honey because apple cider vinegar is not to everyone's taste but some people do and swear by using uh, a daily dob if you like of honey with a daily taking of apple cider vinegar as the elixir of life oh. now, my, my, my dear old mother uh, god bless her who's now passed on um she was a great fan of what we're talking about apple cider vinegar and honey and um I think she used it and uh, she passed away just short of 90 and um, there might be something in it, Jane. There might be something in it. So that sounds as though the apple cider vinegar is the thing that's good for you. That's the elixir well, of look, life and the honey uh, helps. Again, 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 Jarvis um, wrote a lot on apple cider vinegar and, mm -hmm. and for people out there who are working on the land, uh, many of them know of this already, that if you feed uh, your animals apple cider vinegar regularly as part of their diet, it tends to lessen, particularly in a dairy situation, the advent of, of mastitis. Now, we know this, my dear wife and myself, we've gone through some very interesting phases of our uh, 50 years together, but in our earlier days, we were virtually hippies, and we had, uh, some people say he still is a hippie. Well, okay, I, I actually like the hippies, but we had uh, goats, a herd of goats, uh, my, my wife had a herd of goats um, but we took up that mantra and we fed our goats uh, molasses and apple cider vinegar together with their meal that they used to have every day we never ever had a goat with mastitis never ever they produced the best milk you'd ever get my four children came from my dear wife's breast straight onto uh, goat's milk and um the goat's milk was sweet and beautiful and based on <laughs> apple cider vinegar and molasses. How do we get into this topic, Jane? I don't know, but it <laughs> seems it can be a wide-ranging program. Well, can't read, it? Read, read Jarvis's book on folk medicine, and there's a lot there for the farmer. Mind you, farmers know a lot about this, um, but there's a lot there for the layperson also. Excellent. Well, that's health naturally for today. I don't yeah. know where we ended up, Jane, talking about <laughs> mastitis. We started off with the spiratory system. You led me there, Jane. <laughs> Dennis Stewart will be back with us next Friday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.